0: Ellen Weatherford
1: and Christian Weatherford.
0: And this is Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast, where we take your favorite animals and rate them out of 10 in effectiveness, ingenuity, and of course, aesthetics.
1: We are not zoological experts, but we try our very best to bring the most accurate and interesting information that we can.
0: And before we get into our animals for this week, I have a little treat for you. Oh boy. This was sent in literally this morning, so a photo finish in getting it included on this
1: episode.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Listener Talara sent in a message and said, so you know how when you talked to a pigeon expert, you learned that pigeons are pretty bad at nests? Mm -hmm. This is also something we talked about recently with the morning doves, which are closely related. The joke being that they build terrible nests Mm -hmm, and in mm -hmm. extremely inopportune places yes a
1: common roast on social media
0: yes (laughs) they're very bad at it (laughs) so uh, talara sent in here's a pigeon trying to build a nest on an active falcon nest complete with falcons in it huh Which falcons are predators of pigeons.
1: (laughs) And apparently
0: the pigeons keep getting chased away. And then they come back and continue trying to build the nest. (laughs) And there's photos of this poor pigeon with just like three twigs in its poor little beak. And then this falcon shows up. Angry, <laughs> the poor little pigeon like flaps away. <laughs> uh, hilarious. And then also include that these are screen caps from a nest cam on YouTube. The video compiling this little drama is called Les Pigeons Effrontés. And also, for further pigeon mistake documentation, a detailed recording of a pigeon laying eggs in a nest full of barn owls
1: maybe these are the early attempts at nest parasitism
0: (laughs) they're trying maybe they're (laughs) workshopping the concept they Uh saw cuckoos do it they're like that seemed to go great for you i think i want to try it (laughs) but they've got the idea wrong completely they're like maybe if i build nest on top of nest
1: they'll get there
0: maybe they think that whoever builds the nest the highest claims ownership of the entire nest
1: or perhaps it's even i guess lower intelligence where it's just <laughs> <laughs> oh wait yeah i built this <laughs> right yeah
0: maybe if they build their nest on top of the o- owls have a reputation for not, not being particularly bright so maybe they they come back to their nest they're like wait a second
1: we'll just add a twig to it and say i did it it's mine i built this whole nest <laughs>
0: <laughs> you built this i <laughs> built this <laughs> So hilarious. Thank you for sending that in. That is very funny. Mm -hmm. Um, And I believe you go first this week.
1: Yes. So the animal I'll be talking about is...
0: We're we're doing a double feature this yes. week, by the way. Usually we bring our own animals completely independently of each other. They're pretty separate. Sometimes there's a theme uniting them, but usually they're not necessarily connected to each other. We're on a theme this week.
1: Mm-hmm. So mine is the ant lion. This is not a single species. It is an entire taxonomic family of insects called Myrmeliontidae.
0: I like that name. Yes. Myrma, I think, means ant. And then yeah, this
1: this literally translates to ant-lion. Ant <laughs> <Yes. laughs> now, let me ask you this.
0: Is it either an ant or a lion? No. Oh, for 2. Neither.
1: <laughs> <laughs> a
0: 0% accuracy in the name.
1: Right. So this was submitted by... Hisha P.
0: Thank you, Hisha,
1: who is very active on our Discord.
0: Yes, and sent in an incredible email suggesting this entire episode. Right. So, so do
1: you do you want to mention what yours is now or later? I'll get to. I okay. mean, people
0: are going to see the episode That's title true. and they'll know what it is. That's true. <laughs> but this whole episode was Hisha's idea, so thank yes. you, Hisha.
1: And I'll be getting my information from Animal Diversity Web, the University of Florida's Entomology and Nematology website, uh, the University of Wisconsin. Australian Museum, as well as an article that I will cite a little bit okay. later.
0: Okay, it's a, quite a, a geographically wide range of sources. Yes.
1: So let me we'll talk about this little thing. So I mentioned it's an insect.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like many insects, it has multiple life stages. Right. The one that people think about when we talk about ant lion is actually their larval stage. So they start out as eggs. They hatch into a larva. They metamorphose. Wait, what's the what's that what's the form of the word I'm looking
0: Metamorphose? for? Metamorphose, metamorphosize, maybe yes. it's one of those. <laughs> it
1: turns into yeah,
0: there you go. It evolves. <laughs> it turns
1: into it's through a cocoon turns into a winged insect that closely resembles a dragonfly.
0: So the baby form and the grown up form look nothing like each other. Very different.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they
0: don't look related. You would like,
1: not guess they were, and you saw physically saw one do this like change.
0: Yeah, you'd be like those are two different animals. Right. they have nothing to do with each other
1: right um the larval size is about a half inch long or a centimeter and the adults can be up to three inches long or seven and a half centimeters
0: okay knowing what i know about dragonflies that seems to be a pretty reasonable dragonfly size mm-hmm. maybe a little bit so
1: just so i want to just clarify they look like dragonflies but they are not dragonflies
0: copycats
1: <laughs> i don't know i don't know who copied who there <laughs> So as you noticed with my sources, (laughs) they can be found many, many places in the world. But it seems their populations are most dense near the tropics.
0: So here. Yes. Where we live. We do. We do have them here. Yeah.
1: We do. Uh, Like I mentioned, this is an entire taxonomic family with over 2,000 species.
0: Wow. Did you see anything on, like, common names for what they're called in different places? Yes.
1: One common name is Doodlebug.
0: I saw that. Doodlebug is so cute. (laughs) That is an extremely cute name for how uncute this animal
1: is. I'll talk more about why it has that name a little later. Oh, good. So first, I'll get into our first category of effectiveness. This describes the physical traits of the animal we're talking about and how well it enables it to do the things it needs to do. I'm giving an 8 out of 10. That's pretty good. For the antlion. That's good. So like I mentioned, its life cycle is egg, larva, cocoon, adult. is
0: the- like caterpillar stuff. Sure. Like people familiar with caterpillars and butterflies. Mm-hmm. It's a similar thing.
1: Mm-hmm. The larval stage can be anywhere from one to three years.
0: Oh, that's a long time.
1: Right. It depends on food availability and some other factors, like mm. uh, temperature. Sure. Now, the name antlion refers to this stage. And what it looks like is it, it is an insect. It has like a flat oblong... Body with a head with two very large mandibles. Or it's pincers. gnarly looking. Yes, <laughs> it is
0: disgusting.
1: <laughs> so it looks like it can get, it can bite pretty hard, and it can.
0: Oh, that is an accurate visual assessment then. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: those jaws or mandibles are hollow and sickle shaped.
0: Really? Yes. Hollow.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Why? Don't know. You'd think that wait. Was- Oh, leaked. wait, that makes yeah. sense because i would I would think that being hollow would make it more prone to breaking, especially yeah. if they're snapping
1: so they're called doodle bugs because many of these like to dig through loose like sand mm-hmm. uh, type dirt.
0: oh we got plenty of that here
1: oh yeah <laughs> so
0: our state is mostly sand <laughs>
1: <laughs> so they move backwards like they kind of scoop backwards under the sand
0: that's adorable right
1: and while they're doing this, they can leave like a little trail of what could look like a doodle in the sand
0: oh. Oh, that makes (laughs) sense. So they're leaving little squigglies in the sand. I see, I see.
1: And when it gets ready to turn to its adult stage, it'll spin a cocoon under the sand where it metamorphoses. Where sorry, where its metamorphosis will take about three weeks.
0: I need to keep a running counter of how many times you attempt and fail to say the <laughs> word. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and like I mentioned, the adult somewhat resembles a dragonfly. It doesn't have a different name for the adult form in English. Oh, but it does in other languages. Oh, really? In some other languages. Yeah. Oh, okay. So we, we call it an antlion, regardless of the stage it's in.
0: I see. I see. I would expect that, like, if you saw these two animals, you would assume they were completely different oh, animals. Yeah. You would not think to give it the same name.
1: Right. <laughs> You'd be like, that's a different thing. Yep. It has venom. Really? Yes. That's scary. It is the kind of venom that is also a saliva that liquefies the insides of its prey. So it paralyzes and then liquefies the insides and then it sucks that liquid out. Gross. So it's prey, by the way. Uh huh. As and they might give away uh, <laughs> ants and other smaller insects. Turns them into
0: a good soup.
1: Yeah. The larva not only doesn't but can't poop.
0: Now, how could that possibly help? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Why would you do that? It hasn't the opening to defecate.
0: That doesn't answer my question. (laughs) Why wouldn't it do that?
1: (laughs) I'm not sure the why. It just kind of holds on to everything until it does that metamorphosis. And Um, then
0: it cleans house. (laughs) Yeah,
1: so many insects uh, this is probably a very simplistic way to think about it but when lots of insects do this kind of cocoon metamorphosis they kind of liquefy their whole body and then reassemble it right Mm -hmm. so at that point is when all the waste gets separated and gets left behind in the cocoon so
0: when they make their cocoon they have to then marinate in their (laughs) own waste oh yeah that's the worst thing i've ever heard i hate that that's disgusting (laughs) that wasn't what i thought the gross part of this was gonna be right (laughs) like i didn't think their poop was gonna be the most unsettling thing about this animal
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it's metabolism is pretty slow and like i mentioned its larval stage can take years depending on how quickly it can get food now i would like to move into the next category of ingenuity which is where the meat of this conversation lies yes so ingenuity describes could be methods tool use smart things that the animal does i'm giving a full 10 out of 10
0: really yes clever little doodle bug
1: (laughs) They doodle so good. And this is not to imply human level intelligence or sentience. I just just think it's very interesting method that it's come up with.
0: Yeah. They're not like scribbling calculus into the (laughs) sand.
1: Uh, So the biggest thing they're known for Mm -hmm. are digging pit traps. And specifically the larval stage. So in sand, like we talked about, they dig them in a descending spiral instead of straight down. And they do this going backwards. So they start in a big spiral and then get smaller as they're moving down.
0: To make a cone.
1: Yes. Like a funnel. Yes. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Now, what's interesting about doing it this way, uh, so starting big and going smaller instead of going straight down, is that this lets them throw larger grains of sand out of the pit. And those grains are less likely to fall back into the pit than Mm. if they were to just start digging straight down.
0: It's the first rule of Minecraft. Never (laughs) dig straight down.
1: Right. So they do this. They end up with a cone-shaped pit in which they they are at the bottom and Mm -hmm. they bury themselves.
0: Like at the dead center. Yes.
1: Um, This leaves a 45-degree pit wall made of the more fine grains of sand.
0: As anybody who's ever tried to walk on a beach in Florida knows, <laughs> that is not the kind of sand you want to be trying to gain footing right. on.
1: So that's, those small grains of sand are very slippery. It basically keeps digging until it reaches the point where any further digging would cause a collapse of the sand.
0: Oh, so they've got some like structural engineering yeah. going on. Wow, that's very <laughs> thoughtful. It
1: is. They'll sit buried at the bottom of this pit, and basically it's a waiting game.
0: Yeah. (laughs) For a prey to
1: come along to stumble into it. So even its favorite prey, the ant... Is just enough to, like, if it steps into this, like, just past the threshold of the of the pit, the sand collapses and it starts falling into it.
0: That's wild, because they have to use not only, like, the shape of the pit, but also, like, the substrate they're in. Right. Like, they have to, like, understand how sand flows and stuff. I guess <laughs> not under, understand is maybe not right. the right word, but they're, like, taking advantage of the sort of physical properties of sand. Uh-huh. That's really cool. It
1: is. And... As something starts falling into it, uh, it'll start flicking sand at the prey, too, (gasps) to get it to fall quicker. (laughs) That's so mean! (laughs) That's hilarious!
0: It would Um, be like if pirates were, like, attacking a ship, mm. and they, like, have shot a bunch of holes in it, and then they start picking up buckets and start throwing
1: water on it, like, (laughs) take that! It kind of reminds me of the... um, it's like a water gun, except instead of water, it's salt. I thought like you were
0: going to say instead of water, it's sand. I was like, that should be illegal.
1: <laughs> So it's these little salt guns that you can use to get houseflies and things. right?
0: Oh yeah! Not
1: the most, you know. Humane. <laughs> but it's what it reminds me of.
0: Oh my gosh! Um,
1: but it's it's just to get the the prey to fall down sure. into the pit. Insult to injury. The way it's flicking, by the way, is using its head.
0: Oh, I so
1: see. both in the to flick the larger grains out of the pit as it's digging, and then also part of this sand attack.
0: Mm, sand attack. Yeah. I have a Pokemon bit for this. Oh, good. Don't worry, we'll get to it.
1: (laughs) So yeah, the prey falls into this pit. It uses those big mouth parts (laughs) Mm. to clamp down on it to inject its venom uh, and then sucks out the liquefied insides.
0: That has to be... One of the most horrifying experiences that, like, first of all, you have to, like, slowly slide down the pit and you know that, like, <laughs> the worst thing you could possibly experience is waiting for you at the bottom. <laughs> it's not even, like, a lot of a lot of predatory bugs, when they get you, it's, like, instantaneous. You mm. just, boom, you're immediately, like, assassinated. Sure. But with this one, it's, like, an element <laughs> of terror to yeah, it.
1: Yeah, sure. <laughs> um. It's like
0: <laughs> the incinerator scene from Toy Story 3. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> So, yeah, once it's done with its prey, all that's really left is an empty exoskeleton, right? Mm. And what it does with that is just throws it out of the pit.
0: Oh, no use for that.
1: <laughs> Bye-bye. And then, you know, repairs its pit and gets back to it.
0: That's hilarious.
1: <laughs> that is
0: so funny. I would have loved to see them do something with the with the discarded exoskeleton. <laughs> well, I guess they don't want it around because then the other ants are going to see it and be well, like, oh no, dead ant here. <laughs> or
1: it would provide some footing for another ant. True. In some way. Because the, the pit is only a, like two or three inches deep.
0: Yeah. I guess if you have too many skeletons of your mm-hmm. enemies piled up is eventually they're just gonna be able to walk right, right. across the bodies of their fallen brethren right right
1: <laughs> i got most of that information from a paper titled digging the Optum pit antlions spirals and spontaneous stratification by franks et al and that was from uh, an issue in march 27th 2019
0: very good thank yeah. you yeah uh
1: so it's worth mentioning not all antlions do the sand pit really we actually in Florida have an antlion that actually hangs out in the hollows of live oaks.
0: Really? Yes. I'm going to have to go poking around. I'm going to see if <laughs> I can find one.
1: It's usually among like detritus and squirrel droppings. So Okay,
0: well, <laughs> I'll put on gloves.
1: Yeah. So that's to say some of the antlions will do this, uh, you know, lion-wait mm-hmm. ambush style and others yeah. will actively hunt.
0: I actually have in my segment a paper that specifically studied antlions. With sand pits in Florida.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So that wraps up Ingenuity. Aesthetics. This might be unpopular. I think they're cool looking. Okay. I'm I'm giving you a seven. Is that
0: for the larva or is it for the adult? The adult's pretty... Mostly the
1: larva. The adult's adult's pretty cool. cool. Yeah. You wouldn't guess the um, horrors based on the adult form. Right. (laughs) They look totally normal. They look
0: like they're just doing normal stuff. A seven? Really?
1: I think they look cool. Do they? (laughs) I think so.
0: (laughs) Are you sure?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, this is right. Aesthetics. Uh, That could be cute. That could be cool. I'm going with cool. (laughs)
0: Okay. That's you, I guess. (laughs) Couldn't be me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's giving Sarlacc.
1: Yeah, so I want to mention there's a good bit of media representation here. My first exposure to an antlion concept was actually in the PlayStation 1 game, Final Fantasy 9.
0: Okay. Is there an antlion in Final (laughs) Fantasy 9? There
1: is a giant antlion opponent. Really? (laughs) Yes.
0: Is this the Final Fantasy that you played... A remake of no, recently? No, okay. is seven.
1: Okay. This is nine. Okay. This yeah. is a different one. It is. There's
0: a giant ant lion in this? Yes. Wow. <laughs> huh. That's pretty cool. Yeah,
1: it was. Was it scary? A little bit. And I had never even heard the name Antlion before. So right. that was this game would've come out in the late 90s mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: You would think that living in a place where these live we would have we would be more familiar with them or they would be more well known, but they're really not.
1: You have to go looking for them. Really. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now I have
0: heard a lot of people share stories mm-hmm. of being kids and basically harassing antlions. Oh. Where they like drop ants into their they'll find the little pit and like drop ants into right. it, or maybe they'll stick a stick in there and then let the ant lion snap their jaws on it and then they like fish it out basically and play with it.
1: Oh, that's interesting.
0: I've heard of I've heard of that happening. <laughs> I, I don't I've never done that or known anybody sure. like known any kids that did that, but
1: Well plus, you know, for any science teachers listening out there, some of the things I came across is that these make great classroom pets.
0: Now, I wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to read the room a little bit with your
1: kiddos <laughs> to
0: know whether they would be distressed by this sure. or not.
1: Maybe older classes, like yeah. later elementary, early middle school.
0: Yeah. They uh, would probably find this pretty cool. Yeah. Maybe the younger crowd, not so much. Maybe stick with a hamster or a turtle.
1: Because <laughs> all you need really is like a cup of sand yeah. with like some walls that are a little higher up.
0: Yeah. And then you go grab grab yeah. some ants and there and you then go.
1: As soon as you start noticing it starting to you know pupate, you you cover it in cheesecloth or something so that the adult doesn't <laughs> fly around <laughs> your <laughs> yeah. classroom. And then you just let the adult outside.
0: Yeah. Oh man, that's really funny. I uh-huh. would die if i had an antlion class pet that would be terrifying yeah
1: so like you can go just grab some ants from outside or you can take very very young feeder crickets from pet stores Mm. you cannot get the bigger ones they're too big for these (laughs) so like you mentioned sarlacc pit from star wars yes likely inspired by the antlion so the sarlacc pit featured in the original trilogy i think episode six of Ah, star wars okay Yes, Uh, famously, spoiler alert.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert for a movie that came out like 50 years
1: ago. Uh, Where Jabba the Hutt tries to execute Luke Skywalker. Luke gets out just fine. Mm -hmm. Boba Fett famously falls in. (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm. And (laughs) suspiciously dies off screen. (laughs) Sure.
1: Um, so, yeah, that was depicted originally as a cone shaped pit with little tendrils and things. Mm. Uh, it was later given a jaw type uh, appendage mm-hmm. via CGI and later remasters.
0: Sure. It took some sci fi creative sure. liberties with it. I like uh, how in science fiction, whenever they've got something that's already like a creepy, scary, like monster mm-hmm. beast, they're like. Throw some tentacles on it.
1: (laughs) But the idea is that the main body of the Sarlacc is underneath the sand and never exposed. Mm. And that uh, it slowly digests things whole. So that's different from what the lion does. Okay. But it's an interesting sci-fi topic. That is. Now, the last little extra thing I have. Yes. Our boy, Charles Darwin, is at it again. No,
0: it, this cannot be.
1: <laughs> Ariana,
0: what are you doing here?
1: <laughs> so on Charles Darwin's famous voyage aboard the HMS Beagle, the one in which included his trip to the Galapagos Islands. Right. Towards the end of that trip, which, by the way, was a five-year-long voyage. Towards the end of that trip, he went to Australia. Okay. He was noting differences in the animals there versus what he's seen and what he's used to in Europe. But he had a journal entry about antlions, which they also have in Europe. Okay. And it reads. Oh, boy.
0: Whenever there's a Darwin quote in the show, it's <laughs> never good. It's interesting. He had some of the most rancid takes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Earlier in the evening, I had been lying on a sunny bank and was reflecting on the strange character of the animals of this country as compared to the rest of the world. A disbeliever in everything beyond his own reason might exclaim, Surely two distinct creators must have been at work. Their object, however, has been the same, and certainly in each case the end is complete. Whilst thus thinking, I observed the conical pitfall of a lion ant. A fly fell and immediately disappeared. Then came a large but unwary ant. His struggles to escape being very violent, the little jets of sand, described by Kirby, were promptly directed against him. His fate, however, was better than that of the poor flies. Without doubts, this predaceous larva belongs to the same genus, but to a different species from the European one. Now, what would the disbeliever say to this? Would any two workmen ever hit on so beautiful and yet so artificial a contrivance? I cannot think so. The one hand has worked over the whole world. A geologist, perhaps, would suggest that the periods of creation have been distinct and remote, the one from the other. That the creator rested in his labor.
0: Is he basically like just trying to reconcile spirituality with like convergent (laughs) evolution? I guess not really convergent evolution, right? If they're members of the Mm. same sort of taxonomic group, right? Mm. But I guess is he trying to sort of like make sense of that?
1: A little bit. So he's being a little bit ambiguous here. He mentions a disbeliever, a geologist. Uh-huh. He himself was a geologist. Okay. By trade. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, the Australian Museum article about this, one one way they described it was perhaps he was describing this in a way as to not upset his religious family. Right. That's what, I'm, that's what it kind of sounds like right. to me.
0: Like he's trying to sort of like slot this into,
1: <laughs>
0: you know, a way that would not be terribly offensive Mm -hmm. to a creationist worldview
1: (laughs) so apparently you know his thoughts were like the things in Australia are so different from anywhere else surely there was two different creators that were right (laughs)
0: like there's an Australia god (laughs) that's doing his own thing
1: (laughs) right so uh yeah it's a, it's an interesting kind of insight into his thoughts on evolution and
0: that has to be wild like going to a place like Australia that is so incredibly different where you see animals that are like nothing like anything you've
1: ever seen mm-hmm. but you
0: also see some that are like a little similar in surprising right. ways it's interesting to see him kind of process that.
1: Yeah. Something I didn't realize, I think, when we last talked about the Darwin voyage mm-hmm. is how old he was at the time. Really? He started this voyage at 22 years old.
0: A baby. <laughs> <laughs> he
1: so he was, little. was He was in his mid 20s when he was throwing iguanas in the water. And- <laughs>
0: It's extremely, like, mid-twenties dude behavior.
1: (laughs) Contemplating contemplating Australia. Oh, man. (laughs) Okay.
0: He was Chucky D doing his best. (laughs) Excellent. Oh, can I talk about Pokemon now? Yes. Okay. So (laughs) there is an evolutionary line of Pokemon based on the antlion, which Mm -hmm. I didn't know for a long time because I didn't know what antlions were until, like, Pretty recently in my life, actually, Mm -hmm. Uh, it is a line of Pokemon introduced in Gen Three, which had like a whole desert biome that had one of the most absolutely banging soundtracks. Like the track for the desert in Gen Mm Three slapped so hard, I still get it stuck in my head. It's an amazing track. Anyway, it was Trapinch, Vibrava, and Flygon. Mm-hmm. And not knowing about ant lions or their life cycle or anything like that, I saw this line of Pokemon, and it looked so disjointed because Trapinch is a little little red guy right. with a giant, almost like a Chain Chomp kind of head, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Big giant jaws, and he's mostly just a head with jaws. And then it evolves into eventually this big, giant, like, cool desert dragon thing. And the dragon has these long, like, crests behind its head and these big sort of insect eyes that look like they have, like, goggles over their eyes to protect them from the sand, which Mm -hmm. is a cool, like, way of translating insect eyes onto, like, a dragon. But, like, that didn't, the line made no sense to me because I was like, what happened here? (laughs) But then later, learning about the ant lion that made a lot more sense that, like, it goes from this tiny little insect with giant jaws into a bug inspired dragon Mm. i think i would have loved it if they gave flygon a bug typing like if flygon was like bug dragon Mm -hmm. instead of ground dragon but it's fine i'll I'll keep it (laughs) i loved flygon has always been one of my favorite pokemon from gen 3 Mm. i loved it but a very interesting sort of uh relevance to the the lion.
1: yeah and the trap inch doesn't exactly you know one for one resemble the the antlion pupa it doesn't larva rather
0: it's more of a concept really it resembles it more in concept i think but flygon is gorgeous Mm -hmm. it's a really beautiful pokemon i've always loved it i'm glad i got to talk about flygon a little bit on the show very good let's take a quick break to hear from uh, a couple of our friends on the maximum fun network and then let's get to my animal
1: i'm glad you said that because nobody says that
0: can I just say thank you to you for such a thoughtful interview? Oh, my God. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Bullseye, interviews with creators you love and creators you need to know. Listen to the Bullseye podcast only from NPR and Maximum Fun.
1: Hey, I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalen. Listen, you like podcasts, right? Sure you do. Don't try and lie to me. You're listening to one right now, so why not try a different one? called R one the flop house uh-huh and on the flop house we watch a movie and talk about it and then sometimes we also do other stuff it's all meant to be funny and fun and we think you'll have a good time and just to be clear the name of the podcast is not our one the flop house it's just <laughs> called the flop house i do a lot of correcting dan the flop house a lot of correcting dan all right so what have you got today
0: uh, get ready to get countered, Christian. Okay, because this is the trap jaw ant. Oh, they belong to a genus called Odontomachus. I'm getting my information from a lot of different sources. One was an article on trap jaw ants that was written by entomology specialist Blake Layton for Mississippi State University Extension's newsletter, which is called Bugs Eye View. A YouTube video by Dr. Adrian Smith, who is an entomologist who posts really amazing videos uh, to his channel, Ant Lab. And some articles that I'll cite along the way, because they have spoilers in their titles. Mm. So the trap-jaw ant, like I mentioned, this is a whole genus of ants, so they can vary pretty widely in size. Some of them can be really tiny. Some of them can be pretty big. There are species of trap-jaw ants found all over the world, mm. including right here in Florida. This genus belongs to the taxonomic family of Formicidae, which are the ants, which are most closely related to bees and wasps. Mm. The bees and ants are basically like derived wasps.
1: Applied wasps
0: Applied wasps So that's their relatives But what's interesting, okay, so this genus contains about over 70 species that are known so far But there are multiple genuses of ants that have evolved very similar trap jaw mechanisms But they're not related to each other at all Okay. Yeah. They're like, they've just like convergently evolved the sort of similar trap jaw mechanism. And the interesting thing about that is that they don't internally work the same way. Mm. Like, they'll like latch in different places or have different muscular structures where like they're really only similar in like form and function but the inner mechanisms of them are different mm-hmm. which is really interesting because it suggests that they like they came from very different evolutionary approaches but right. all arrived at kind of the, it's like when you all show your work differently but like arrive at the same answer yeah 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 <laughs> it's interesting Getting right into effectiveness for the Trap John Ant, I'm giving them a 9 out of 10. Okay. I didn't do that intentionally to like one-up you. That wasn't like,
1: I'm not trying to
0: do that. Uh, but the first thing you'll notice about the trap jaw ant is, of course, their trap jaws. So they have these giant mandibles, which is kind of like science talk for mouth parts. Mm-hmm. These are massive. Like they look to me like a cartoon villain's handlebar mustache because they're like <laughs> yeah. large. They have this sort of like hook on the end and they hold them out to the sides. So they hold them pulled apart in 180 degree, like their face is like doing a split. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And then inside of their head, the mandibles latch into position. So they, they're not having to, like, hold them open. They just pull them open and latch them there, mm,
1: okay. right?
0: So they're not having to, like, exert effort to keep them open. They just pull them open to the point that it latches. Like and a, then they're
1: Like a crossbow.
0: Yes, it is like a crossbow or like cocking a gun, basically. Mm. So it's, like, held open, primed, and ready. And then when one of the hairs on the inside of their mandibles detect contact with something... Then the latch is released and all of the stored energy explodes and the jaws snap shut. Mm-hmm. So that's how they're able to, like, basically, they're not having to push their jaws closed. They basically build up tension and then release it, like snapping a rubber band. Right. The jaws move at about 90 <laughs> miles per hour. And the force exerted by the strike can be up to 400 times the ant's own body
1: weight. Okay.
0: This is, what are you laughing at? <laughs> I was
1: I was just thinking that doing it this way means they have one setting.
0: <laughs> you know, it's interesting because they can open and close their mandibles more like manually. Okay, so they don't have to be like it's only when they pull them to the point yeah. that they're latching.
1: But at that point, it's a all or nothing. Right at that point, they really can't control it.
0: Uh, so this strike is one of the fastest movements in the animal kingdom. It is only second to another type of ant that is called the Dracula ant. Oh. And they actually also do snap their mandibles shut, but theirs is actually pushing the tips together to build up tension. Hmm. And then it's more like snapping your fingers. Like you push, 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 push until the tension becomes too much and it snaps together.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: So they're both kind of snapping their mandibles together, but it's a different mechanism. Okay. These mandibles allow them to catch prey that moves quickly or otherwise defends itself by expelling chemicals. Mm. So basically the idea is that the prey is already killed or stunned by the mandibles before they can deploy their chemical defenses. So if there's something that usually, like termites are a big thing they do this for. Yes. Um, If there's something that usually sprays a chemical to defend itself, the idea is that the ant can kill it quickly enough.
1: Right. That
0: it can't. Uh, do that
1: that reminds me uh with the ant lion. Uh, something it gains on this topic is that mm. only it's like head and jaws are outside the sand the rest of its oh. body is under the sand so that's how it kind of protects itself because lots of ants have that kind of right. chemical ability
0: oh so they're kind of shielding themselves yeah. the sand. oh that's cool i like that yeah insects are funny because like they'll develop these like incredible defenses mm-hmm. but then other things will develop incredible ways to counter them yeah it's yeah. really cool uh, their bite is so powerful that it can actually fling the ant's body backwards. So <laughs> if they're exerting this massive amount of force on something that is too big for them to, you know, grip it or, you know, subdue it,
1: mm-hmm. it
0: will blast the ant backwards. Right. Like many, many inches away, which for a tiny ant is an incredible distance.
1: Very anime. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and the blinding speed that they do this at to me makes it look like the ant is just like glitching out and like teleporting away
1: <laughs> like it's,
0: it looks like in like one frame you it's suddenly like eight inches away mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is maybe an exaggeration but they do it very very quickly and it is a great way for them to quickly displace themselves mm-hmm. so they can blast themselves backwards by just like using this powerful bite But in addition to their powerful bite, they also do sting. And their stingers are unbarbed, retractable, and protected by a sheath. So Mm. they can actually be used repeatedly rather than like a bee, which might sting and then the stinger comes out and that's all they got.
1: Dragging a bunch of internal organs with it, yeah. Yeah, that's not ideal. You don't (laughs) want to be doing that.
0: Uh, the trap giant, not so they can actually, what they'll do is like, if there's maybe a, an attacker on their nest or something like that, they'll use their jaws to hold like skin in place Mm -hmm. and hold it down while they sting it repeatedly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Grapple and then
0: (laughs) grapple and stab. And they do produce a venom. It's not usually medically relevant to humans. You Mm -hmm. could have an allergic reaction, but for small prey, it can, it can really get the job done. So, because their mandibles are so long and bulky, their antenna have to be even longer to reach past them because their antenna oh. are how they feel out in front of themselves sure. to like detect their surroundings and stuff like that. So, they have these like ridiculously long antenna that look like a fourth pair of legs just like sticking out the front, mm. um, which is a funny way for them to have to like make up for, you know, we have got these giant mandibles sticking out of the front of your face, it's kind of like blinding you. So, they have to reach their antenna past it. And just a funny little note about their larva, actually. When they're young, in their larval form, their backs are lined with sticky, mushroom-shaped little adhesive pads. Mm. And what the adults will do is pick them up and stick them to the ceiling oh. of their nest. <laughs> They'll, like, like stick them up to the top, and and it keeps the paths clear for them to walk <laughs> around so <that> the larvae <laughs> aren't, like, underfoot, so they're not, like, crawling over their larvae or something like that. I get it. So, don't you sometimes wish <laughs> that we could just,
1: it's mostly puppy though
0: <laughs> I wish puppy had some adhesive pads on her back so we could slap her on the oh, ceiling. <laughs> I see
1: you're carrying a very hot skillet. I should stand right underneath you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I wish to be superimposed over your feet. <laughs> I just thought that was kind of funny, so moving on to ingenuity for the trap ant, I'm giving them an eight out of ten. Mm. so trap joint ants are able to make quick decisions about how to use their. I'm going to call it a rocket bite. They can aim their mandibles and position their body differently to execute different types of jumps. They have one type of jump called the bouncer defense jump, Hmm. where when the ant is confronting an intruder or a threat to their colony, they'll charge at them with their mandibles, you know, latched and locked and loaded, ready to go. And then when they snap shut, it propels the ant backwards Hmm. so it basically lets the ant come in get a bite in and then immediately disengage so it keeps them from like being at risk of taking an attack of opportunity basically (laughs) from the attacker so they'll come in and and snap their jaws to attack and Uh then it also shoots them backwards they also have another type of jump called the escape jump where the ant actually aims their jaws directly down at the ground So they they actually turn their head down, look at the floor, and bite the floor, Mm -hmm. and it launches them directly up into the air, not just backwards. So Hmm. they, they get serious air they don't seem to have a game plan for this. They just want to go up. They don't seem like they're going anywhere. They, they <laughs> just hope that they get to somewhere better. <laughs>
1: anywhere but here.
0: Yes, exactly. It's kind of an emergency eject from mm-hmm, whatever situation mm-hmm. that they are in. Now, in both of these cases, the effect is amplified when the ants attack as a group. So in bouncer defense, if there's a lot of them attacking at the same time, they can deal a lot of damage and fend off a large predator. But escape jumping as a group creates a popcorn effect, mm. where if you've got got tons of these ants all jumping around it confuses the predator and it can even be like like startling right right? and and they could be threatened by it and leave so they kind of all do this escape jump to kind of like popcorn (laughs) to be like disorienting for a predator that's very funny to me and that was from a paper called Multifunctionality and Mechanical Origins, Ballistic Jaw Propulsion in Trapjaw Ants. And that was <laughs> by Patek et al. in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in August 22nd of 2006. Now here's to where we tie in with your animal. Mm. Researchers from the University of Illinois decided to test the trap jaw ant's evasive maneuvers specifically against the formidable antlion. They wanted to see if the trap jaw ants jaw jumps are helping it specifically against ant lions. So they collected both ant nests and ant lion larvae from a field site in central Florida. It was about an hour south of Orlando. They moved them into artificial nests and plastic bins in their lab and constructed a literal arena that okay. is what they call it in the paper. They, call it, they <laughs> use the word arena. So they've got this little sand bin that they plop a little ant lion larva down and let it build its little sand pit. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then they throw ants in t- <laughs> to see what happens. It's a, it's a real life Pokemon battle is what they've set up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or, <laughs> or a gladiator fight, I suppose. Scientific method. <laughs> <laughs>
0: This has to be like one of the most brutal uh, scientific studies I've ever read about. So what the researchers found was pretty interesting. They found that when the ants fell into the pit, half of the time, they just walked out. Like they just ran out of the pit.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> they just walked out and it wasn't really that. I, th- I think maybe they were just able to figure out what's happening early enough that they just mm. like ran back out. 36% of the time, they got eaten. Okay. They they fell into the pit and they made it all the way down and the antlion ate them. But 15% of the time of uh-huh. all times that they fell into the pit, they did successfully eject themselves from the pit by using their jaws to eat themselves out, which doesn't seem like a lot. 15% of all times doesn't seem like a lot. But so they wanted to test to see if the mandibles themselves were really making a difference.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: they glued some of their jaws shut. <laughs> to see if that made a difference. Okay. And they found that it did. The restrained ants had a much lower survival
1: rate. Okay, I see. So when
0: their jaws were restrained and they couldn't use them to jump out, they were much more likely to die.
1: I see. So I guess what that would be testing is for those that can't propel themselves out, would they instead just walk out?
0: Right, and they weren't able to. So while the jaw jump was a last-ditch effort, basically, Uh it did help. Like, at least a little bit.
1: I bet it's a panic response. <laughs> like how you play a scary video game and you stu- you just smash the jump button. <laughs> I,
0: I was going to say you hit every button. Like, <laughs> I hope something helps.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> One of these has to be the right thing I'm supposed to do in the moment. So that, it's funny you mention that because uh, this is not a perfect technique. Mm-hmm. The researchers mentioned that the ants often missed their bites and failed to execute jumps. They timed it wrong so that they didn't bite until they'd already been pulled under the sand, like a, okay. lot, like a couple times that happened. Or, and this is a, a quote from the paper, the trajectory of three of these jumps caused the ant to collide with the side of the pit and fall back into the center. Oh, yeah. So they would jump out and then fall right back down mm-hmm. back into the same pit. <laughs> <laughs> so they jumped, didn't help.
1: I guess, yeah, I guess that makes sense, because there's like a, a window of, of an angle that where if you're outside of that, you're just going to hit the sides of the pit.
0: Right, so they weren't able to, uh, they were not able to escape, even though they tried. Ultimately, they determined that jaw jumping increased their survival rate in antlion encounters by about twofold. Oh, okay. So they were about twice as likely to survive, which was uh, I think a pretty interesting study. That was called Mandible Powered Escape Jumps in Trapjaw Ants Increased Survival Rates During Predator Prey Encounters. That was by Frederick J. Larrabee and Andrew V. Suarez in the Public Library of Science 1 in May of 2015. Interesting. Yeah, very cool. For aesthetics for the trap jaw ant, um, I'm giving it a five out of ten, it's an ant. That's all I got. I don't know what else to say. (laughs) It's not
1: like metallic or an interesting color. No,
0: I mean, really the only like interesting thing about the way they look is the giant trap jaws. Sure. And I feel so neutral about that. Like that doesn't make them look cool to me, I think.
1: Did you come across how painful it is to a human to be bitten by these?
0: Yes, it is about as bad as a bumblebee sting. And it's not the bite. The bite isn't what hurts. Okay. It is the sting. Okay. So the sting hurts, but the bite itself, like, so like in some of the videos that I watched, some researchers were like, or just people that like had these would just put their finger down and let them bite their finger and it didn't seem to, didn't seem to hurt. Huh. I don't think it's the bite that you have to worry about. It's the sting. Makes sense. Which if if you are threatening their nest and they're trying to like get you away from them, they will sting you. Yeah. And it won't feel good. So to wrap things up for the trap jaw ant, uh, many species of trap jaw ant ranges are actually expanding throughout the southeastern United States. Okay. So many species found here are growing, like growing populations, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. There is at least one species of trap jaw ant that is endemic to central Florida it is called Odontomachus relictus. The species was named in 2004. And then 10 years later, in 2014, the same species was mentioned again in an article in Entomology Today that was about trap-jaw ants, in which researcher Magdalena Sorger says that ants of this species from different sand ridges seemed to display different behaviors and have different genetics, suggesting that they may have split into two different unique species which she said would make them the rarest ant in the world wow because this already pretty like limited range species mm-hmm. split into different species and now you've got a species that's basically only found on this like one sand ridge in florida
1: Interesting.
0: Isn't that wild? (laughs) It has to be stressful to be an ant taxonomist. Mm -hmm. Because, like, you got to get down to such a microscopic, like, mitochondrial level to figure out if it's a different species or not. (laughs) Uh, Oh, and that article, by the way, was titled, Powerful Trapjaw Ants Are Gaining Ground in the Southeastern United States. And that was in Entomology Today in June of 2014. Very cool. Yeah. So that is the trapjaw ant consider yourself countered
1: you got one up <laughs> sort of yes yeah, consider yourself
0: of. countered 15% of the time
1: it works all the time 15% <laughs> of the time <laughs>
0: Countered a little bit.
1: <laughs> it reminds me of the Futurama episode where they have those two animals that are evolving to counter each other. Like one evolves to blow up like a balloon, the other one evolves a spike to pop the balloon. And <laughs>
0: <laughs> We've talked about stuff like that, yeah. like the the garter snake and the rough skinned yes. newt, right? So, where you just enter this sort of evolutionary arms race to battle each other.
1: So balls in your court, Antlion. I
0: guess so. What do you, What are you going to come up with next? Let's see it. What's the next move? <laughs> <laughs> maybe a constructing a ceiling over their pit <laughs> so that when they jump, they just hit the uh-huh. ceiling. And... I've been playing a lot of tears of the kingdom. And this seems like the sort of silly engineering that, that yes. you would do in this game. <laughs> it's like strapping a rocket to your shield.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so thank you all for spending this time with us. I really appreciate it. I'm glad you're here. Yeah. I would love it. If you left some kind words for us on your podcast app of choice, I wanted to say that I have noticed a couple of people in the reviews have asked us to do episodes on animals. Like somebody asked for a red panda, somebody else asked for rats. And first of all, I agree that those animals are really cool. And also, we have done episodes about them. And this happens a lot where people reach out asking for episodes that we've already done, which I understand. We've done, we're coming up on 200 episodes mm-hmm. now. We've done a lot of episodes. I have added to our website, a link to our uh, Simplecast page. What is useful about that is that it has a search function. Oh, so nice. So you can pull that up and type into the search bar whatever animal you want to hear about. So, like, if we've done it, it'll pull up that mm-hmm. episode. So, if you go to that, if you go to our Simplecast page, type in Red Panda it will pull up the episode in which we talked about red pandas. Sure. There is a searchable way to look back through our catalog and see if we've already done one on the animal you want to hear about.
1: Which must be exciting, right? Like, as a listener, say, man, I really wish I could hear about this. My favorite animal. Like, oh, it's available right now. I it's immediately.
0: To it. You do not have to wait. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I just wanted to say that that's on there. Um, you can search through our catalog that way. It's an easy way to do it. We're on social media. Links to everything will be in the episode description. If you have an animal you want to hear about, you can send it to me at ellen at justthezooofus.com. We'd like to thank Maximum Fun for having us on the network with the other amazing shows. We love you. If you want to check those out and learn more about how you can support our show, you can head over to MaximumFun.org. And finally, thank you, Louis Zong, for our theme music. I don't think that either of our animals from this week could be incorporated into the theme song unless maybe you did some sort of snapping from the trap jaw <laughs> ant. maybe had some like sure. sort of like i don't know beat like rhythmic snapping
1: you could use one of those percussive instruments that sound like sand moving Ooh, yeah. mm-hmm. that's cool
0: oh that's a good idea good job i did it well here comes the song we'll see y'all next week All right, bye y'all thanks bye